Pakistanis have just voted in the elections, which mark only the second consecutive democratic transition of power. This is Anahita Majumdar, editor of Himal South Asian, and I'm talking to senior journalist and long-time contributor to Himal, Meena Sarwar, about what the elections mean for Pakistan. Thanks for joining us for this podcast from Boston, where you're based currently. Uh, we hear the Pakistani community there is watching the elections back home with great interest. Is this election especially significant for the country? Um, hi, Anahita. Good to talk to you um, and to be with Himal again. Um, yes, I would say that it's uh, especially significant. I mean, if you look at it, this is the third time that Pakistan has held elections at the time that they were scheduled to be held. This is the third time ever in Pakistan's history. Um, the first time was in 2008. And then the second time was in 2013 when the elected government, government elected in 2008, handed over power to the next elected government in 2013. And that was the first time that that peaceful uh, democratic transfer of power took place in this country. So this time is the second ever in the country's history that we have a peaceful uh, transition to power uh, to elected uh, to an elected government uh, from an elected government to an elected government so this is like really pakistan's i would say uh, another step in the road uh, to the democratic political process yes and congratulations for that it's uh, really a milestone uh, there also seem to be some other new elements to these elections. And one is that the Pakistani electorate in the past has either had to choose between the Pakistan People's Party or the Pakistan Muslim League. But the initial results uh, of the counting uh, indicate that both the traditional parties are being marginalized by Imran Khan's uh, Pakistan Tariqat-Insaf. Uh, what is this presage for the elections? So I would say that it's good that we have a third uh, force uh, coming up, and that is not new. Imran Khan has been in the, uh, you know, in uh, vying for power since uh, the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, he boycotted the 2008 elections, um, and so this is only the second time that he has participated in the democratic political in the electoral process. Um, the uh, fact that it is, a, a, you know, that the bi-party system is kind of being shaken up is good. It has brought a lot of new voters into the fold who would uh, who were disillusioned with the earlier two parties. Um, the downside of it is that uh, uh, he uh, his party, the Tariq-e-Insaf, uh, is not has not been an organic growth, I would say, because it has been very heavily supported by the uh, security establishment. Um, and um, in the run-up to the elections, uh, there was, uh, I, I would say, unprecedented censorship that we saw in Pakistan. Unprecedented in the sense that before, uh, when we had heavy censorship in the Zia and Musharraf eras, we didn't have this much media. So the scale of media, the that is a lot larger, and so is therefore the scale of the censorship. And the censorship primarily was, uh, you know, to project Imran Khan's Tariq Insaf um, and give it a lot of publicity, positive publicity, and also to um, uh, either not give any publicity or not give any not report on the other two political parties. Uh, not only not report, but not to uh, do any reporting that would 
uh, create sympathy for them or create uh, them, in, them in a positive light. So that that's the, uh, um, the, the I would say that's a kind of a pre-poll manipulation that was taking place for the last few months. Uh, in addition to which the judiciary also, I think, um, the kind of uh, decisions that the judiciary has made, for example, disqualifying uh, you know, people from uh, running in the elections that belong to parties other than uh, BTI um, on flimsy grounds, on technicals, uh, you know, like uh, pull, putting, you know, like pushing updates, which were meant to be heard later and that kind of thing. So there's been a lot of, uh, I would say, I would say this has not been a fair and free process. Having said that, I would still say that that's the downside. And having said that, like we said, like we started this uh, part of the conversation that yes on the whole it is a, a positive it is a positive step it is a step forward despite the drawbacks of the that i mentioned do you think the army interference has changed the complexion of the elections or is it similar to earlier elections so i think there's two factors um two factors driving this uh, this change and uh, the pti you know their slogan is the bili which means change <clears throat> so there is change for sure uh, I think that the two factors driving it, one is from the military establishment, security establishment. I wouldn't say army as such. I would say generally the security establishment and those who see themselves as the keepers of Pakistan's ideology also. Um, I think one is their fear of change. They see things on the ground changing. They see the demographics changing. The young Pakistan has a very young population Um and the young population has democratic aspirations, even if they are not uh, actually saying that, yes, we are looking for democracy as a political system. Democratic aspirations is, you know, freedom to, to you know, to, to work, to marry where you choose, to, to study, to, you know, have a fulfilling uh, employment um, and to have basically a better quality of life and uh, you know, and not be uh, stuck in the rut that your forefathers were. So you have had a lot of people breaking out of traditional uh, caste and class and gender barriers over the last few years. And that uh, that is the, that change, you know, is bringing social changes, uh, which the security establishment or the religious ideological establishment is uncomfortable with. But this this young generation also is feeding is 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 that is Imran Khan's constituency or traditionally has been Imran Khan's constituency because he was the one who uh, he he galvanized the the young population out of their political apathy um, a constituency that had only ever seen democracy uh, dictatorship had never seen uh, democratic gov uh, governance in Pakistan uh, you know because they grew up under Musharraf's quote-unquote, liberal dictatorship era. And they thought that, you know, dictatorship is fine because it's, uh, you know, allowing various, uh, uh, it's it's liberal, quote-unquote, again. Um, so I think that this, these, uh, this, the, but these young people, many of them who were um, uh, Imran Khan voters, um, have, came out in large numbers to vote for him. And also I see uh, uh, another constituency that has come out in large numbers to vote for him. And that is uh, people who were previously uh, on the political fence. They never had a political opinion one way or the other. They stuck to their work, you know, businessmen and, you know, uh, people who just 
thought that politics was kind of beneath them or over their heads or whatever. And now I'm, people realize the stakes are high and that you need to participate in the political process, to engage in that. So the so I so that's so having said that, just to sum sum that up, that it's not so simple as the military security establishment pushing Imran Khan. Um, they have done that, and they have very successfully developed a narrative or promoted a narrative according to which traditional politicians are dirty, bad, weak, inept, corrupt, uh, and all of that. Um, and that this new force, this new knight in shining armor, is you know is is the savior of Pakistan. And I, I think that is a dangerous narrative because it promotes that savior, that messiah complex that we've seen. In, in the USA with Trump coming up and in India with Modi coming up. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's what I would say. It's a complex situation. So what do you think are the major issues on which uh, Pakistani voters are casting their vote today? Is it uh, corruption? Are they looking, as you say, for something new and shiny? Or are there other issues as well? So we don't see Imran Khan's PTI having anything to offer other than, you know, I will change things for the better. I will listen, like vague promises, I will clean up corruption. Now, it's not so simple as we know. We've seen that, you know, in other places as well. Um, but people people want, people want the same as people everywhere. People want a, 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 to be able to live in peace. They want to be able to have the right to life for one thing. We don't have security of life in Pakistan. Um, they want to, their children to go to school. They want to be able to feed and clothe their families, and they want a roof over their heads. Those are the issues. But, you know, I think the party that has addressed those issues on the most um, uh, significantly is the People's Party, which has really not, uh, you know, it, uh, come, come, come up as much in the elections. Um, these, and then the manifesto, it, uh, these issues have not been addressed that much, this, so much except as in, in vaguely worded uh, promises in general, like except like I said, the People's Party, which has actually a very strong uh, manifesto rooted in socio-economic uh, reform, and that has not come. But I don't think people read manifestos. I don't think that most of the voter, voters who went out really uh, read or heard. On if you ask people in general, what are the manifestos? What are the main points? Uh, they would not really have an answer. And what do you think will be the main challenges ahead for whoever forms the next government? I think the challenges will be the same as before, you know, how to secure these things for the people, how to, uh, you know, uh, maintain, the, you know, address these aspirations, address these needs, and at the same time, how to reduce the level of militancy in the country, the, you know, the, the impunity with which militants are operating, um, which is something that we don't really see being addressed. You know, there's a lot of uh, stopgap measures and, um, you know, quick fix kind of things that have happened, like, you know, restoring the death penalty, which had been embargoed. I don't think the death penalty is an answer to crime and to extremism, uh, because the people who are willing to kill for their ideology are not afraid of being hanged to death which is the punishment in Pakistan. So those issues, I think, remain peace with the neighbors. Unless we have peace with the neighbors, with Afghanistan, Iran, and India particularly, uh, how can we move forward? Uh, if 
so th- those issues all still remain and it will be a challenge for whoever is there to address them because the security establishment um, on the one hand again it's a very complex situation because on the one hand they're going after the militants they have uh, really i think in a way broken the back of the militancy so it's been a successful military operation or series of operations at the same time they haven't been successful in uh, stopping the uh, uh, you know like it's like the old i think it was ulysses you know the dragon's teeth he sold the dragon's teeth and the armed warriors would come up and he would chop them down and more would come up um so that is still happening and the answer to that is that, again there's no quick fix solutions or magic wands the answer to that of course is uh, long term uh, education and, and and addressing those needs that i talked about and uh, giving people re- dignity and respect and which is what people want and expect more and more now whereas before uh, you could get away with uh, disrespecting people now you can't there's more awareness of these things so that's the positive side that the people there's a lot more are standing up against a lot of um uh the sort of autocratic old behaviors so i don't know if that answers your question Yes, and uh, thanks for explaining the complexities of the situation, which has unfortunately largely been uh, reported as a two-tone uh, story in most of the media. Uh, so, if I can ask you for a last question, uh, which uh, would sum up the situation, there you've explained that the elections have been impacted by the security establishment, uh, and yet there is a process of democratization. Uh, that uh, perhaps the PTI has a very simplistic uh, approach, and yet it has managed to engage the youth. So, what would you take away from the elections today in Pakistan? Um, I would say that there is a need for all the political parties, including the PTI, to uh, maybe revisit and revive the Charter of Democracy that the People's Party and the Pakistan Muslim League signed back in London before Benazir came back, um, and uh, that Charter of Democracy essentially said that it would not brook that the politi- political forces in the country will not brook military interference in politics. That is the elephant in the room. As long as the military continues to interfere in politics, engineer. Um, election results and they've admitted to i mean the, even the last elections we have never had an election that has not been interfered with in which there has not been rigging there has never been a completely free and fair election in pakistan this was no exception however the fact that they uh, feel the need a real see that they that they need to uh, establish controls through the through democracy shows that there is a realization that people will not accept uh outright military uh, rule or military interference and there is a, a very widespread feeling in the country that the election has been uh, manipulated and stolen and of course the pti supporters don't see that because they have come out on top um in fact uh, when i mentioned this we were having a conversation here in boston and uh, and i mentioned the pre poll kind of um, manipulations of the censorship and one pti supporter said to me we are okay with that censorship so they're you know that's very one sided so that ha- people have to get over that and to look for the larger good look at the overall big picture move together um and, and uh, you know maybe uh, 
cut down this rhetoric that we see with the rise in social media of labeling anyone who doesn't agree with you as a traitor or a foreign agent or a, you know, um, in Pakistan, another big thing is, uh, you know, uh, non-Muslim or, you know, somebody who is against Islam, which, of course, and, and that's a, a lot of uh, people who are not voting for PTI have been, you know, have been so labeled. So I think there's a need to move. That's very divisive. And in politics and democracy, we need to tone down the divisiveness, which I think is very obvious, as you can see, um, the dangers of that in India and in America. Uh, the divisiveness has really, you know, the polarization, increased polarization. And I think social media plays a large role in that. There needs to be a recognition of that and attempts to move away from that in order to move forward, you know, to to learn to have civil conversations and to agree to disagree and to move uh, forward together for the larger good. Well, uh, thanks for that, Bina. Let's hope that the process of democratization continues to deepen despite the odds. And thank you so much for making time to talk to us. Thanks, Anoita. Good talking to you.